Now, in just a moment, I'm going to invite uh, Levi Beardy to come and speak. But I wanted to I wanted to introduce him personally. Uh, my first uh, first time I met Levi, uh, he was here um, serving as a custodian. He still uh, works as a custodian here in this building, and so he would come in and be waxing the floors and cleaning the rooms and prepping the space. And so I thought, oh, a new custodian, he's a really nice guy. And as I got to know uh, Levi more and more, uh, I was first of all impressed by his spirit, the way he carried himself, the way he worked, the way he cared about the school, but also about our church and the ministry. And he would ask questions. And so one day we got talking and Levi shared some of his story of his testimony and how he came to know Christ. And then it was after that that I found out uh, that he is also a pastor uh, and has served as pastor to numerous First Nations churches, has a history, and also works with an organization, a national organization across the country that works towards reconciliation. And so this week being a Truth and Reconciliation holiday this week, I really wanted to have Levi come and speak to the subject from the Bible and from his experience and background. And I know you're going to be blessed by everything he has to say. He's a wonderful man. So... I'll invite Levi to come to the stage. Give him a warm round of applause as he comes. Back home, they would say, good stone, good stone, basic knees in this. And anybody here understand that? How Jackie does down here. I know Jackie from when she was working for years at First Nations House in downtown Toronto with the University of Toronto. She... Why would I know Russian? I was in the military for 21 years from 1969 till 1990. And when I joined the military, we were a peacekeeping country. Prime Minister Pearson from the past had made peacekeeping a very strong option within the Canadian military. So I joined during that time. And uh, this is going different from the first service, so, so I hope you don't mind. And I hear you don't have a time thing at the end. Hmm. This is going to be exciting. Uh, I, want, I, don't, I see the clock over there, but not very well. So, so I may ignore it. <laughs> uh, so, so I joined the military as a peacekeeper. But then they switched me into something called Communications research, that meant we were doing communications research work across oceans, across mountains and deserts and so on, and waters and knocking signals off of the ionosphere and stratosphere to, to test our military communications equipment. Lies. It's just like when I learned Russian, the teacher said, the newspaper is called Pravda, this newspaper. It means truth. It's all lies. And then he put up the next newspaper, which was Izvestia. says, what does that mean? News. Lies. <laughs> Propaganda. So that's what it was. Uh, what we were really doing was, uh, was, uh, was intelligence work. So I ended up in that. And when, I, when they opened the books and what was going on in the world under top secret code word hiding under the, those top secret code word security clearances. We were at war as a nation, as a free world against the forces of communism, which seek to dominate, dominate the world and put them in bondage, put us in bondage. So, so like Daniel, years later when I became a Christian, because when I entered the military, I was atheist. Even though I'd had the move of God in my life through my parents and my own personal life, I'll talk about later. I was an atheist. I was angry, angry at the world, angry at everybody. I had been a good athlete, a good athlete. But I got so violent in my athletics that I got kicked off teams because of my anger at, as a First Nations facing the discrimination, the injustices around me that I saw continually. And so I thought the military was an option for me to learn how to, how to be active to protect my people against the rest of the world. But God had other plans. One day he visited me and next thing you know, I found my, the books opened again, not just to the top secret world, but God's world. 
Much like Daniel, in Daniel chapter 10, where he sees a man coming up here to him after he had prayed and fasted for his people. And this man says, I want to show you, this angel says, I want to show you a great war, a great struggle. And that was a great struggle of the spiritual powers of darkness against the spiritual powers of, of, of light, of God. And so I would say that when that, that was open to me, finally I realized that all of the conflicts we have on this planet that we call Earth, whether in my, my, my battle as a First Nations with the rest of Canada or Canada with, with the, the world against, against communism and so on or the NATO forces, that there was a greater struggle. That these were, we are on this planet for this amount of time. Do you see that between my fingers? Within the span of eternity, we are here for just a split second. And during that time, God is saying, will you follow me or will not follow me? Do you want to spend time with me for eternity or do you not want to? Okay? So before we, I go any further with that, I just want to pray with you. I think you are the most amazing people in the world. You are the creations of God, created in his image. And he is, in Jeremiah 31.3, he says to each of you, he says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And with ever loving kindness have I drawn you unto myself. So you're here, not by chance. But the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the creator of the universe has drawn you here because of his immense love for you. And you say to yourself, I don't deserve to be there. None of us deserve to be in the presence of God. But today I'm going to take you to a place. In Corinthians... It says, do you not know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? Two places it says that. Do you know that you are not, do you not know that you are the temple of the living God? So when I look at you and everybody here are Christians or don't realize it, but they're Christians already. Some, okay. You're here because God wants to put his spirit within you. Okay. But now what is the temple? What is the temple? In the Old Testament, it was a temple was a, was a physical building. A physical building. Well, now, is that physical building in us or a spiritual form of it? The, spirit, the physical building had the outer court, the court of the Gentiles and women because they weren't appreciated further into the temple. And then the inner court, okay, where the Jews and recognized people were. And then further in was the, the holy place where the priests and the workers of the temple worked. And then deeper was the holiest place, the holy of holies. And you know, as we walk with the temple, as, as, as I am a temple of God, where am I? In my Christian walk? Am I on the outskirts? Am I in the outer court? Just all fuzzy and excited about, I'm going to heaven, but not reading the Bible, not praying. I've said the sinner's prayer, and the pastor prays for me, and the elders pray for me. I, have, I go to church every week, but just on the outer court, feeling maybe undeserving of going further. Or you in the, what I want to take you is, without your permission, <laughs> take you right into the Holy of Holies this morning. Okay? Is that okay with you? Okay? Okay. My name is Levi. That's a priestly name, so I have authority to do that. <laughs> uh, there's a story behind that too. But Just close your eyes and bow your heads with me. I'm going to first speak in my native language, okay? The Ojikri of Northern Ontario. Kshemando nogmagagi zigak humar nebija ugueno kumagayawat jayem chigetamogo. 
Heavenly Father, I come in before you and I bring this congregation to you and I want the best for them because you want the best for them. You don't want them to just receive just a, a sprinkle of your loving embrace. You want to hug them. You want to bless them. You want to shower them with all that you have. So today I bring them to you. And I pray for their minds. Their minds. Their physical minds. That they may be cleared of any worries of the day, of the week, of the month. That their minds may be cleaned and prepared to hear your voice. To understand your ways, Lord. I pray for their ears that they may be unplugged. You say in, in, the, in, in Revelations seven times and even three other places where you say, he who has an ear, hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches in these last days. I unplug the ears, my ears and the ears of these here, that truly their ears may be unplugged and they might hear your still small voice. I pray for their eyes, that their spiritual eyes, as in Ephesians it says, that our spiritual eyes may see the glory of your holiness, Lord. I open their eyes. That they may see all the things that you want to bless them with. I pray for their, their tongues, that they may speak, not the words of hatred, anger, of selfishness, but that they may speak the words of life, that out of their bellies will flow rivers of living water, living water, words of life, hope, mercy, healing, salvation, that I may speak those words today, not just an ordinary river, but the river of life that flows from you under your throne, as described in Revelations 22, the river of life that brings healing to the nations, healing to the trees for the healing of the nations. Lord, I pray for their hearts, that their hearts may be steadfast, their hearts may be set upon you, that they may fulfill the greatest commandment, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all of your strength. I pray for this congregation. I pray for all those that are associated with this congregation, their loved ones, their family members. I pray for them all in the name of Jesus. I pray in the name of Jesus, in the will of the Father, and under the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen, amen, amen. Now, I haven't started preaching yet. I'm just getting prepared. Um, I, I am First Nations from... Uh, north of Thunder Bay. When I say Sioux Lookout, people think of Sioux St. Marie. Well, that's a southern community, okay? Uh, that's not even near the 49th parallel. Do you know that? North Bay. Oh, South, Sioux St. Marie. So north of Thunder Bay, go west, close to the Manitoba border, and then go to the end of the road up in Sioux Lookout, that area, and, and travel another 200 kilometers. And that's my home. Isolated fly-in community. And uh, when we never signed, as our people never signed treaty until 1929, not even 100 years ago, we were, because we had not been found or discovered to, to any major degree, we, they knew we were there, but they ignored us. Sent some fur trappers to come in, fur trap, a Hudson's Bay company there to pick up our furs, and that was about it. So I grew up in that environment. And my, my parents got married, they were my dad was 17, my dad was 18, my, wife, my mother was 17. Uh, they didn't know each other. It was an arranged marriage because that was a custom at that time. And uh, they had their first child, and that child died because of the harsh conditions in the north. The second child, which was me, was born a year later in the middle of a blizzard. Middle of a blizzard that had been raging for weeks. The planes to bring supplies had not come in. They had not been able to go out and hunt and trap or, or fish or whatever because of, because of the, 
and, and supplies were running low. And I was born and I was dying of the same thing that my sibling had died the year before. And my mom, only 18 at this time, think of her, First Nations girl, a teenager, not educated because they didn't have any schools there at that time. Couldn't speak English. The fringes of all society had heard and was brought to her remembrance, I believe, by God. And in her anguish, I believe she stumbled into the Holy of Holies and says, Lord, let my son live and I'll consecrate him to the priesthood. And that night the storm stopped and the next morning a plane landed on the frozen lake. Supplies for me to to live. And I'm alive 70 years later. I've, I've been healthy. I've been healthy all these years. And then she had more children, and I'm now the oldest of 12. So, so whatever was blocking by the power of God, I believe, started. Now I have about 75 nieces and nephews, last count. And um, I have four children, six grandchildren. God has been gracious. We've had battles in every way possible. But God has been there for us in amazing, miraculous ways. When there should have been deaths, there were healings. When there were sicknesses that would have been incapacitating severely, God has healed it miraculously. So I just thank the Lord for being in my family. But I want to tell you about another person closer to here who who stumbled also into the Holy of Holies from Curve Lake. Now, when I was taking, taking Bible college training here at Eastern Pentecostal Bible College in 19, 1990, I, I ended up going up there and meeting this lady. She was the first female chief in Canada. And at, I think she was about 26 when she took that on. And everybody had been telling her, you can't run for chief. Women aren't allowed to run for chief. But she chose to do it. And she got elected and has now broken the glass ceiling And, and for that. So that would have been in the 50s or, or early 60s. But when I met her, I met her and another woman, Aileen Irons, an elder in the community. And, uh, and I went there and I, I was just checking to see what's going on as a Bible college student. And, and uh, she said, well, well, I met them and I said, what is, what's the church going to do in? And she says, well, there's the church. And there was a building that was condemned with barbed wire around it. And so on. And I said, what's wrong with that? She says, all kinds of bat droppings. We're trying to... Everybody else wants to raise $10,000 to fix it up so it'll be good for a couple of years. But, she said, we're going to build a new church. We're going to get rid of that one, build a new church, 250 seat, $1.2 million church. And I'm saying, okay, good. That's good for you. And who's in your congregation? Who's paying for it? And he said, nobody's paying for it. Nobody's putting money towards it. And, uh, and I said, well, who's, who's, who's your congregation? And, uh, and he pointed to me and my wife and my two children at the time and themselves. And they said, well, the six of us. And I said, what? what? You know, I'm starting to question the sanity of these people. <laughs> And they said, well, who's your pastor? You are. (laughs) What? And so I said, Lord, what's going on? And and I just rode upon their faith because this woman, Elsie Knott, had not been a Christian all her life. Years before, she had, as chief, she had had a crisis, a crisis situation where she was just in deep anguish of soul, and she went to the church at the time, knocked on the door, nobody was there, drove down to another church nearby, knocked on the door, nobody was there. And then she remembered that downtown Peterborough, there was a Bible bookstore. And then behind the counter it said, if you need prayer, ask for Dave, Dave Fisher, Dave Fisher, who is... Everybody knows Dave Fisher. Okay, he's got friends on, on, on George Street, the organization. 
Dave came out, prayed with her, and she's, she became a born-again Christian, very strong believer. And, and so we did said, okay, great, we'll, we'll help you with the church. And we started. Miracles happened, and the whole building was built. Into, and, and, and within two and a half years, everything was paid for. Donated labor, donated material. People just gave money and it was paid for. Now here you've got a new building. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> that I bring that up. So the opportunity is there when you're walking with God and finding his mind in the Holy of Holies that he will fulfill the calling on on your life or your organization or your the risingabove.ca that we talked about was founded 30 years ago by, 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 by people in the church, survivors of residential schools, who, who, who just wanted to help, help the, the, the healing of our, our, our suffering people. And now it's Canada-wide, as, as the pastor said. I'm the chair. And, uh, and now we've been asked to... To go into the states, we've we've already been in the states for other reasons, but now an official organization that stretches into the states. You say, why do I do custodial work? Because I don't ask for wages. I, I trust the Lord, and He gave me this job, so I'm doing it. Keeps me healthy too. But um, but I'll say to you that one of our sessions this last spring, we were. We had a webathon that was nationwide and it was supposed to be Journey Through Grief. That was the title of it. And it was supposed to be just to talk about the grief of, of what had happened in the residential schools. From what we had heard from the survivors, the stories were horrible, heart-wrenching. And you kept telling yourself, this is Canada, a free country. But the pain was so horrible. And we started that Friday, May the 28th, to address the needs that were there. And that's when it was publicly made known about the Kamloops Residential School, 216 unmarked graves. And that took us even deeper into the realization that there was more to this than we ever thought. And then Saskatchewan, another 700. And the latest count, official account, was 1,800 unmarked graves that have been found. And some say it's even as high as 6,000. And we think to ourselves, this is our civilized country. This is our nation. That was a peacekeeper. This is our nation that at one time, churches were, were, were at every corner. And the word of God was preached from she, from one sea to shining sea. You know, how could this have happened? I spoke to a gathering of, of evangelical pastors just recently, and they asked, well, what denominations were they? Were they just the Catholics? And I said, no, it wasn't just the Catholics. It was the United Church, the Anglican, Presbyterian, Methodists, and one Baptist, and a couple of Mennonite. And, and they, they, they were in an uproar because those, they, some of those are evangelical churches. How could the evangelical churches have done such a thing? And that's, that's because we're human beings. We're human beings. And you know what's worse than a native pers person being abused by a non-native organization and non-native people? It's a First Nations organization being abusive towards their own people. And sometimes that's happened. And I've had to speak out against it and got to trouble with, with many native organizations and native churches and pastors because of it. Because they've learned too well under the missionary system and demonized so much of our native, native heritage. 
So that's where, when we talk about reconciliation, there's a lot of work to be done. A lot of work to be done. But the thing is this. Who are we? What are you? What can you do? What can I do? Who are we? Can we do anything? Can I do anything? I'm native, so can I do something? You, you may be non-native. Can you do anything? I think we can all do something. Why? Because you are considered a royal priesthood. A royal priesthood. Somebody say, amen, yahoo, yip, yip, yay. Come on, come on, come on. So that's why my name is Levi. When my mom, when God answered the prayer and I was healed, she fought to have my name be Levi in honor, in obedience to her promise to God that I be a priest. Because we were in the Anglican church. So, so I've got a, a Levi name, which is the priestly name, right? My middle name is Samson. That's, that's a judge. Which would you like me to be? Your priest or your judge? But the judge, really, Samson, the judge, were, were, the judges were people that were sent to help the nation of Israel or Judah to overcome the oppression by the Philistines or, or Hittites or whoever. They were sent to, be, to help, help bring healing to the nation. So I hope to be able to do both. We're also what is known as ministers of reconciliation. You can be a minister of reconciliation. And you'd say to yourself, but I'm just one person. One person. In the scripture, it says that one can send a thousand to flight. Two can send ten thousand. So the forces of darkness I've talked to you about that seek to destroy our nation and destroy our relationships. You as one person can call upon the legions of God's angels to help us become one nation under God. One nation healed and delivered from all the differences that separate us. One person. One person can do so much. Okay? If you look at the Old Testament, one person, Esther prayed. One person. For such a time as this, she helped to save the people of Israel from the destruction. Jonah, I love Jonah. He tried to run away. And God is telling him to go to the Ninevites. Now, if you do the historical research on the Ninevites, they were a horrible people. They were a horrible people. Very destructive against their enemies. Very, very, very evil. So, so Jonah had a right to hate the Ninevites and say, God, I don't want to go there. These guys are horrible. But after the fish incident and so on, he goes there grudgingly. Now, now, now I'll tell you something. This story was one portion of scripture that I said God to. I said no to God as a new Christian. Even though I was teaching Sunday school, doing Bible studies, and on the radio as a Christian, and even after two, two weeks as a Christian, God opened those doors. And I said, God, I'll believe everything in the Bible, but I won't believe the story about Jonah and the whale. Come on, give me a break. I believe 99.8% of the Bible, the story about Jonah and the whale, I can't believe. And, and I was trying to get the moving of God in my life, and it was doing greatly, but I was sensing something was missing. And then one day in my devotions, I... I read, Jesus said, as in the days of Jonah. He didn't say as in the myth of Jonah, or the fable of Jonah, or the saga of Jonah, or the fairy tale of Jonah. He says, as in the days of Jonah. So shall the Son of Man be put to the belly of the earth. And so so when I heard that, hold it, Jesus is saying this is historical fact. And that's when I repented before God, said, God, I now believe that story. And I accept the whole word of God 
as being true. And from that moment on, everything moved forward in miraculous ways in my ministry, in my Christian walk, in my family. So, so as, we, as we believe this, okay, as we believe the Word of God, the Word of God is going to, to take us where we need to go. And uh, I'm talking a little bit longer than I did in the morning service. I'm taking a little bit more time. But, so now then, with you, you have to believe, okay? When Jesus was being crucified on the cross, he could have sent a legions of angels to overcome those that were crucifying him, right? He could have done that easily, but he chose not to because he chose to die for you, each of us. Each of us, he chose to die for us. But do we have access to those legions of angels? If Jesus is in us and he's telling us, bind the powers of doctrine. Whatever you bind on earth will be loosed on earth. What it actually says is, in the original Greek, will have been loosed on earth. They're ready to be loosed in heaven. Will be, is ready to be loosed on earth. We just have to bring it to reality in accordance with the Lord's prayer, which says, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's been done in heaven. We just want, God wants us to release it. One person, one of you can do so much. Do you know what I'm saying? Whatever you bind on earth has already been bound in heaven. Okay? So we're just bringing heaven into our world. And that's what we have to do. I, I, I experienced this one, place, one time when I was going to a conference up in, in northern Quebec with the Crees. And, uh, and I chose to, because we used to go up to New Liskard and up that way, but I said, let's cut across here with the Algonquins. And I went to one community. And God, as I was driving by, I saw a native community, Algonquin. And I said, and Lord said, bind the powers of darkness, release my spirit upon this community. I did and left. Couldn't stop. Several years later, when I was a Bible college president, some students, Crees in the north, said they had a, some relatives. Or I got a call from that community. I didn't know it was that community. Saying, come, we've had a, a, a revival. A couple of years later, musicians. And I didn't even know it was the same community until I saw something. and said, hold it, this is the place we prayed for. So I don't know. Some people say, well, Levi, you make so much of yourself. It's not me, it's the Lord. It's just letting the Lord do his work. Do you know what I'm saying? Do you know what I'm saying? Just letting the Lord do his work, being obedient to what he says and believing him. And that's where it says that Abraham believed God and was credited to him as righteousness. That's before any Jews existed. He was the first Jewish person. And the promise to him was, out of him will come great nations, a great nation, and bless all the nations of the world. Us were the recipients of that blessing because he believed God. What is righteousness? Jesus is our righteousness. So in a sense, Abraham had an encounter with Jesus. Now I bring it to North America. If there was a medicine man way back 5,000 years ago that heard the creator, the real creator, and believed him, would have been credited with righteousness. And therefore, have met Jesus without knowing the name. But anyways, I'll, I'll leave it at that. So, so the thing is now, you have to figure out what you're going to do in this time of a need for reconciliation. Okay? Okay? Somebody say amen. amen. Yahoo. <laughs> so we are the temples of the living God. Now, I want to go on to, to what Jesus did. Uh, is my moving around uh, disturbing at all? You're okay with it? I go to some churches and they... Some, some liberal churches, and they sort of <laughs> get scared of me. <laughs> but 
All of us have gone through traumas of some sort or other. Our, our people at the residential schools, the survivors, the ones that were at the residential schools, the horrors they faced of being dragged from their homes at threat with threats of, 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 of prison time for the parents if the parents wouldn't let them go. It happened so often all over. Curve Lake, just up here, one of the families, four of the children were taken to the Mohawk Institution down by London. Ten years they were gone. Their language was taken away. Their culture was taken away. In some residential schools, the names were taken away, placed with numbers. Their clothes were taken away, and that's the story of the orange shirt. Is, is the girl that went there with the orange shirt was told you can't wear that and given some other clothes to wear. And that tore her heart. And the abuse that happened from, from, from the, the ones that were supposed to be caring for them, taking care of them and educating them. In many cases, they didn't get any education. Why? Because there was a language barrier. The kids couldn't speak English and the teachers couldn't speak the native language in many areas. The discipline that the children were used to was a loving parental discipline guiding them and teaching them. Here in the residential schools was a harsh discipline. Very close to, well, it ended up being a prison-type system. And one of the, one of the phrases that they, they said at the beginning was, we have to kill the Indian and the child. That was in the 1870s when, when the residential schools started. Kill the Indian and the child. But what they didn't realize was the Indian child was filled with all of the cultural teachings of their home, of their family, everything, of the land, of, of, of the traditions. And when they tried to kill that, they were killing the child in, the, in essence and tried to replace it with something, something the child couldn't comprehend because they were so young. And one of the, the guys that, that I administered to up in Curve Lake, you, you'll probably still see him up there, Fred Taylor. He has, a, he's, he has some paintings in the Wheatung's Art Gallery. And he sits there usually. And he, he came back as a 16-year-old, met his parents, couldn't communicate with them. And the frustration of being back, a week later he was in jail, got into a fight. And he says he felt more at home in jail than he did in his home because just didn't know what home was supposed to be like. And he felt more at home in jail where there were the boys, where, where the, the jail guards were like the boys' masters that had been very harshly disciplinary towards them in, in the residential schools. He was told when to get up, what to wear, where to go, what to do throughout the day. And he felt comfortable in jail. And that's why we have a high prison rate amongst our people because some of our people may not be the greatest crooks in the world, but they'll do something just to get into the jail so they can escape the world because they can't fit into the world. They lose themselves in alcohol and drugs. And part of my ministry in Toronto is to I asked the Lord, I said, there's, there's the rich native people here in this city. There's uh, semi-rich, and there's uh, okay, and then there's down here. Where do you want me to go? And I was going down Blur Street and stopped at a stop sign, and everybody looked so nice. It was a Sunday morning. I was going to church. Everybody looked so nice from all over the world, dressed nice, looked very, 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 very very, very, very successful. And then out from an, an alleyway, three guys came, First Nations people, indigenous, drunk as can be, 
could barely stand. And I'm parked there, the stop sign. And they come by, and they're just, just completely, completely gone. And one of them even leans on the, the hood of my vehicle as they continue across the street. I'm looking, Lord, what are you saying? Are these the people you want me to concentrate on? These are the, the ones that have, have been traumatized so much that they're just drowning themselves in alcohol and, and drugs and dysfunctional lifestyles. And I, and, and I went, and a couple of weeks later, I was going down Yorkville Street, and I saw them in a little parquette. One was passed out on the park bench. The other was passed out on the, on the grass. And the other was leaning against a tree. And he had a bag of peanuts in his, hand, in his hands. And he was there eating it. But, that, but as he was putting it in, it was just missing it. And it was going all over his clothing. And I'm looking at them. And I say, God, these are the guys that you want me to minister to. What do I do? How, I could talk to them, but they wouldn't hear a thing. And I always carry a, a vial of oil with me. So I just went over and I went to the one that was passed out on the bench, anointed him with oil and prayed over him. You know, God would move. Same with the other one. And then the guy on the tree, leaning against the tree, he was nodding back and forth. I prayed for him. But at the last, just before I left, he lifted up his head and said, thank you. And he ended up being in our congregation. Six months later, he, he showed up, or two months later. And the last I've seen him, he was sober for about a year. And one of the others, I was able to pray with him and his family in the, in the hospital, Mount Sinai, and, and he, was, he was recovering from alcohol. But he has since passed away. The third one, I don't know. But, but God will make a way. But our people, when I was growing up, we were told we were Anishinaabe. That means native. But they always asked, included a term right in front of it, a prefix. Nudge Anishinaabe. Common Indian. You're just a common Indian. You know, some, one of my old friends from back there saw me preaching up, up, up in um, Blind River, up, up in Elliott Lake, I think it was. I had a mission conference. I was one of the speakers. And, and I saw him. He saw me at Tim Hortons, and, and he was in the area, and he came and listened, and I invited him to the table. It was a meal afterwards. And after I spoke, I come back to the, to the thing, and, and he was a cousin, a cousin. To, and he says, who would have known it? A grungy little Indian boy from Red Lake up on that stage. <laughs> he came to the Lord and has now gone to be with the Lord. But he went through residential schools worse than I did. Bright as a young boy, very bright, very intelligent, quick learner, so much so that he never stayed with his own age group. It was always people four or five years older than him that he'd be with, and athletic. You know, I, I was a track athlete in the high school, but one day we were out there just running, and he was in old boots, and I was in sneakers, and he outran me, and I'm thinking, hold it, how come he's not doing these things? Because, because. The barriers are holding them down of racism and discrimination. I'll be, I'll be involved in bettering my athletic abilities and drunken people would be saying, why are you doing that? The white man won't let you succeed. And they'd be drinking their bottles. Lost all hope to live. And there's a term that Emil Durkheim started in, in the 1800s. Emil Durkheim was a, was a sociologist. It's called Anomi, A-N-O-M-I-E. And that's talking about people, individuals, and societies when they lose the solidity of their cultural understanding, that the groundwork and foundation for their culture is, is taken away and there's nothing replaced. There's, there's just a a futility towards life, a hopelessness that results in suicide. And that's one of the things that has happened to our people is, is, is our, our cultural teachings from the past have been demonized and said it's no good. 
the wisdom of your elders is no good. And then they replace it with, 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 with politicians that are crooked, with the legal system that is more injustice than justice. Replace it with an educational system that, is, that has destroyed our people. Where do our people go to find hope? The church that has demonized them also. So, so that there is that struggle to find a place. And, but the thing is, you know, you know, Billy Graham spoke about North American Indians in the, the Mission Frontier Bulletin years ago. He said, they're like a sleeping giant. The native people are like a sleeping giant. The red Indian is like a sleeping giant. He says, these are the people that have been, have been let down by the church by Europeans, the settlers, everybody has been against them, lied to them, cheated on them, did everything wrong against them, destroyed them, brought sickness upon them from Europe. But they still, so many of them, fight for positions of leadership. Not fight, but move into positions of leadership within the Christian church. And he was astounded with that. And then, several years later, Another preacher, Kenneth Copeland, said, I see the North American Indian and I see them as being under a dark, dark blanket from the northwest, the northeast to the southwest. Underneath there are native people, red Indians, he says, that are that are suffering under addictions of alcohol, abuse, poverty. And he says, his heart was broken. And says he prayed, and in that vision he saw a hand reaching down from heaven. A hand, that's a hand of God. And ripping that blanket, chunks of that blanket out, and the native people being swept into the kingdom. And he says, by the tens of thousands by the hundreds of thousands, by the hundreds and hundreds of thousands. And you know, that's happening. I went down to the States, North Carolina. I was preaching at a conference for pastors of a large Pentecostal group that stretched from Alaska to Maine to south, to the southwest to Florida. And I preached on reconciliation. That was a few years ago. And I just said, I believe Native people are rising up as, as leaders within the churches. And I said, and I, there were about five of us. Two of us were Native at, on the, at the thing, and, and about three others that I could see that are visible Natives. And I just threw it out there, and I said, I would ask whoever is Native has, a, has, has some Native blood in them, Native heritage, Please stand. These were leaders. They weren't just, just congregation members or anything. These were leaders, major leaders. And out of the 300 that were there, 100 stood up. And that even shocked the organizer of the conference. They didn't know that these people, because they didn't look Native, but they had Native heritage. And I said, well, let's stand up and pray for the healing of this nation, that there may be reconciliation. So to me, God is, is showing that. And I have grandchildren that look whiter than all of you. <laughs> in fact, I'm proud of my grandchildren. Four of them have graduated from here, and another one is in grade four. So, so, and, and Rima's done a great job here. So, so the thing is, what I'm saying is, is it possible? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Because God is more than able. When Jonah prayed for those ungodly people, he went to the center of the city to the market square and said, repent or God will destroy you in 40 days. And he was hoping they wouldn't repent. But they repented. God repented. And then Jonah got mad. <laughs> I knew. I knew you weren't going to do damage to them. So when I became a Christian, God challenged me as a new Christian and said, you joined the military to find a way to stand up for your people. 
are you still of that mindset? And I said, yeah. Did you take a bullet for them? I, I guess so, yeah. yeah. What about the white people, the good white people? You've met a lot of good white people. I said, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I guess I'll, I'll stand up for them, fight for them. What about the bad ones? And the racists and those have done damage to you and your people. I said, Lord, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. The damage is too deep. Too deep. I, 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 I could say it, but I don't know if in my heart I would want to forgive them or fight for them. And then that's when he showed me on the cross his last words. Do you want to put it up there? When he was being crucified on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They do not know what they are doing. Jesus said that about those that were crucifying him. Who were the crucifiers? First of all, it was the Romans who were the physical actors within the whole idea of that crucifixion. They were the ones with the, with the hammer and the nails. They were the ones that pushed the crown of thorns down. They were, they were the ones that whipped him. And that blood flowed. Jesus so disfigured that no one could recognize him. They were the actors. The spiritual actors within this were the Jews that said, crucify him, crucify him. They had an opportunity to, re to release him and, and to crucify a murderer, Barabbas. But Barabbas, son of the father, what a, what a, what a name. The real son of the father was Jesus. But they chose to set the murderer free and to kill Jesus. They were the ones that were spiritual crucifiers. There was another group called the Greeks. The Greeks. These were great people of wisdom, philosophy, and justice. They were there. But they were, what? Committing the sin of omission by not being not stopping the process of crucifixion. He forgave them. And then there was another group. His Bible college students, Peter, James, John, who should have come up there and at least tried to fight for his, to stop the execution, crucifixion. But they sat back and did nothing. His congregation, if you want to call it that. They did nothing. Peter even cursed and said, I don't know the man. Cursed. Cursed and said, I don't know the man. Wanted to break all association with him. All those four people, groups, were, were participants in the crucifixion. Now look at each other and say, we could have been part of that if we'd been alive at that time. As a soldier, I might have been one of the centurions. As a pastor, I might have been one of the priests. I'm not Greek, but, <laughs> but I was a Bible college student. I, could have, I probably would have been too chicken to stand up for Jesus too. But Jesus says, forgive them for they know not what they do. If we are in our right mind... If they were in their right mind, they wouldn't have crucified him. That's what he's saying. If they were in their right minds. And not only that, he's not only saying, in a way, it's inherent within his heart that he says he forgives them. Okay? That's a given. That should be our, our story as Christians. We forgive anyone who trespasses against us, who does evil against us. We forgive them. And then sometimes we... Remember God's word that says, God says, I am the avenger. And he says, promises, he says, I will bless them that bless you. We love that. But he says, I will curse those that curse you. You know, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. So you all of a sudden, sometimes we're looking at it and say, yeah, that person did wrong to me. I forgive him, but God, you know, <laughs> have your day with him.
<laughs> get your pound of flesh. Get the pound of flesh. But that's not the spirit of Christ. Christ says, Father, your wrath has a right to destroy these crucifiers. But he says, Lord, forgive them. Do not punish them. And that's the way we should be. Anytime somebody does wrong to us, we forgive them and we say, Lord, if they're deserving of any punishment or wrath from you, I pray that you withhold it. All those that were, that were the actors within the residential school system, Lord, do not punish them. The legal system that has been meeting injustice to my people, Father, do not hold this sin against them. And the next chapter is in Acts chapter 7. When Stephen, oh, all he sees me. Stephen, when he was being stoned just for preaching the gospel, a man filled with the Spirit of God, being put to death. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he says he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. So in the same spirit of Christ, he was saying, I forgive them because I want to, not because I'm demanded to, commanded to. It was in his heart to forgive. And that's the same thing with us. It should always be in our heart to forgive. It should be automatic as part of our Christian walk. But then the next one is to say, as, as Stephen saying, Lord, Lord, do not hold this sin against these that are stoning me to death. Can you imagine what being stoned to death is like? It's a horrible fate. It's a horrible fate. But he was being called home by the Lord at this point. And then a chapter later, Saul of Tarsus, one of the one of the leaders within the persecution of the church at that time is going down Damascus Road. And Jesus appears as a bright light and says, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Jesus appears to him. And I think to myself, my theology is this. Because Stephen forgave the door was opened for Jesus to go to Saul of Tarsus because his sins had been forgiven not only by, by Jesus but by, by the very person he had helped in murdering. And it says later on that many of the priests and leaders of the temple became followers of the way because of the forgiveness that was in the hearts of the Christians during that time period during those early years. And then it continued. It continued for 300 years. Christians never lifting a sword against their oppressors, against the Roman Empire. They just prayed for them. They were thrown in jail. They were burned at the stake. They were skinned alive. They were, they were, they were thrown to the lions. Everything. But they kept praying for their oppressors, forgiving them in the spirit of Christ. And next thing you know, the whole Roman Empire becomes Christian. Okay? The whole Rome, they conquered the whole Roman Empire without shedding blood. And that's a power that we have through forgiveness. And that's what I'm trying to get across to my people because my people many times say, well, I won't forgive them until they ask for an apology. Soren Kierkegaard, way back, he was, he was dismissed as being a strange theologian, Danish theologian. One of his words was, true forgiveness comes even before the apology is given. Did Jesus forgive me before, wait until I apologize for he forgave me? No. The forgiveness was already in place. It was already there being handed to me. I just had to receive it. That's, that's the heart of God. That's the heart of God. I went to one person from my childhood, a world-famous person in the lunchroom. I don't, 
fashion designer, very successful. She was my classmate way back. And, and, uh, and we met in Toronto one time, and, and she apologized profusely for the racism and discrimination that had been in our community. She's, she's of Swedish Icelandic heritage, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, dark and brown. So we're two different peoples. So this was when we came south. She apologized for it. And as a pastor, I was already pastoring. And I said, Linda, I forgave you when Jesus came into my heart and challenged me to forgive all my oppressors from the past. And, and she just fell across the table crying and weeping. And she's, in fact, I talked to her a couple of days ago. She's in the kingdom of God, proclaiming Christ wherever she goes to the great audience that she has. She has connections all over. But what I say to you is this. Pray for us in these days. With Rising Above, with my church. I'm also on Facebook. I have about 5,000 in one group. I have an overflow of about 1,200 or 1,400 in another group. Then I pray for these people regularly because I believe God has put them into what I consider, and I might not be right, but consider my household. And I bring them before the throne of God. And they say, Leva, how can you put 5,000 people into your prayer thing? I can't, but I throw them into the Holy of Holies. <laughs> say, Lord, you know how to deal with them. Minister to them. Bring healing to them. So, so I, I believe something is going to happen. God is at work in these days. And as I close, I want to remind you that God spoke to my mother out in the middle of nowhere. God spoke to Elsie here in this area. God speaks everywhere. He says, God has spoken to all people at all times. No one is without excuse. No one is without excuse. You, you might say, well, I've been so bad. I, 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 uh, he can't have any use for me. Some people come to me and say, well, I, I did the unforgivable sin. I, I, God has condemned me forever. I'm not one of the chosen ones. And I tell them, if you're standing in front of me, then God has brought you here. And if you're in this congregation, God has brought you here because he wants you in his heaven. How much time do we have here on this earth? That much time. So much happens within that piece of time. But all God says is, come unto me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden. And I'll give you rest, eternal life. Everyone that calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's what it says in Acts 2. So it's, it's open to everyone, anyone, whosoever will. And, and I just want you to bow your heads right now. Heavenly Father, I bring this congregation to you. And even the congregation that was here before and those that were on the live streaming. Lord, you're not restricted by time, space or anything. So I bring them all to you and I say, Lord, let each of us, each of them, hear your still small voice that they may turn to you for complete salvation, just to turn from their ways, which is repentance, and to seek your face, to, to walk in your paths. I pray this in the name of Jesus. And for those that have been Christians, sometimes we Christians think we're exempt from that, that, that verse that says, come unto me, all you that are weary and heavy laden. Sometimes the Christians and the Christian leaders are weary and heavy laden. And they're so busy with, with the work of the church sometimes that they get so involved that they're weary and heavy laden and don't have time to come to you. I bring them into your presence right now and say, Lord, lift the burdens that they are carrying, that they may be able to walk freely under the anointing of your Holy Spirit. 
Heavenly Father, I just thank you for the sense that I have that you love this congregation far beyond what they can think or imagine, the plans you have for them. Lord, I just pray for a releasing of your spirit, all the powers of, of heaven to be loosed, to walk with them, each one of them, wherever they go, whatever they do, that you may be truly a lamp unto their feet for every single member. And I pray this in the precious name of Jesus, Lord. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. God bless you all. God bless you all.